Hey, you're listening to the C3 Network Podcast with Dan Holland. Our mission is to create a network of micro churches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. Our hope is that this encourages you. Be sure to leave us a review so you can help us share our message with more people who need to hear it. And now, Dan Holland. Welcome back. We're working our way through the eight qualities that are necessary for building a life that lasts. And today we're looking at the sixth quality, which is godliness. I hope that you're memorizing these passages and that it's causing you to live your very best every day, especially on those days when life is hard. And I want to start again by reading 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 3. If you know these by memory, you can close your eyes and say them or just follow along. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Godliness is our focus today, but what is it? It sounds a lot like goodness, doesn't it? Now, there's a commonality between the two, but also there's a huge distinction. You can be good, but not be godly. See, a godly person is going to be and do good, but not every person who is and does good is godly. So what is it that makes a good person godly? What is godliness? The word is intended to describe who you are. You are a godly man or you are a godly woman. It's not what you do, it's who you are. To live a godly life is to describe a life of someone who includes God in everything that they say and do. So To add godliness to your perseverance just makes sense. You persevere because of who you are. As you persevere, you're becoming more and more godly. Think about it in this way. We know that darkness describes a state or a quality of dark. We aren't just in the dark. We are in darkness. We know that to be prepared is good, but to live in a state of preparedness describes a condition of constantly being prepared So, to add godliness to perseverance means that we are living in a continual state of God's presence. We're not just doing a godly thing. We're constantly aware of God's presence, and that is godliness. Now, let's go back to a guy that we owe our existence to, Noah. And I want you to listen to what is written about him. Let's jump all the way back to Genesis. Listen to what's written about him in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. 
Noah didn't gain God's favor, you see, simply because he thought better thoughts, avoided sinful behavior, and did good work. Noah was favored by God because he made room for God in his life all of the time. It didn't matter if he was chopping wood for his boat project or preparing an offering for worship. See, Noah walked in intimate relationship with God 24-7. But you may say, well, things, Dan, are far worse today than they ever have been. Now, most every generation has made that claim, but it's a bit of an overreaction, in my opinion. Wouldn't you agree? Sure, we could argue that there's an alarming downward spiral in morality these days, but the good news is there are still a whole lot of people in the world who are striving to live the good life. That wasn't the case in the days of Noah. You see, during that period in history, acceptance and participation in evil, such as violence and sexual immorality, greed, dishonesty, was unlike literally anything seen before or since. On the mind of every person all the time was just pure evil. In fact, humanity was so depraved at that time that God decided that wiping the face of the earth clean of human beings was the best thing for him to do. So he did with a mighty flood. I think you remember that. Every living thing, man, woman, child, the family pet, drowned in a 40-day rainstorm that flooded the earth. Wait a minute. If that's true, how is it that there are so many centuries later that we're still here? We're here because of God's grace. But we also owe a huge debt of gratitude to one man. Now, listen to the words that we read in three verses. Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Jump down to verse 13. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both of them and the earth. And then in verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. Has it ever crossed your mind that you likely wouldn't be here today if it were not for this one man? Noah making the courageous decision to live a life out of step with his culture. Do you realize that it is within you to have this same type of impact on this and future generations? It's a huge point. You can break generational dysfunction in your family, help friends get free of destructive behavior, and show neighbors how to live a more fulfilling life. How do I know this? I know this because Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, assures us that we have been given everything we need, God's power and his promises to live an effective and productive life. Let me say that again. In spite of what's happening around us, we can choose to live the type of life that has the potential to change the future for other people. There is a condition though. We must make every effort to, and you can say this with me, add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness. Now we're hitting the pause button right there on godliness. See, godliness means to be deeply aware of and included, inclusive of God in every area of our life. It means being the same person wherever we are, whoever we're, we happen to be with. To God, there are no compartments to your life, just the life he gave you to serve him. A godly person is just as mindful of God on Monday at the office, Wednesday at the soccer practice, or Friday at the beach, or wherever it is that you spend your weekends. And listen, whether you're mindful of him or not, God is always with you. David reflected on that 
on just how God is consistently present in Psalms 139. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. See, he's always in on whatever you're going through and whatever you're doing. That doesn't mean that he always approves, but he's always there. Godliness means that God is included in everything, everywhere, all the time. And Paul reminds us that God is not watching us like some big eye in the sky, but rather he's always with us because he dwells in us. His exact words are these in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now, don't gloss over this. God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, whose glory is so brilliant, man cannot look at his face, whose love is pure and endless, is with us 24-7, 365 days, whether we recognize it or not. It's true. It's amazing. Yet, according to Peter, to build a life that lasts requires effort, even though he is already with us. It's easy to go days without even thinking about God. How can that be? Let me ask, what's the most beautiful place you visited? Seriously, what's the most beautiful place? Was it the ocean, the Rocky Mountains, Redwood Forest? One of the first thoughts that goes through the mind of most visitors in a new place to places like I've just mentioned is how wonderful life would be if only they could live there in that place. And honestly, in some of these places, it's hard to imagine being able to look away from the beauty long enough to be able to live life. Often people, though, who live in these places claim that within a few weeks, if not even a few days, you sort of just stop noticing. Not only does it become such a regular sight that you begin to take it for granted, but life gets in the way. Who has time to stop and gaze at the waves crashing on a beach whenever you have deadlines to meet? Who has time to gaze at mountains when there are people to impress? Who has time to wonder about the sheer size of a redwood when there are dreams to achieve? Often, it isn't until you end up living in another place that you look back realizing that maybe you should have taken a little more time to enjoy the view. Isn't this the same thing that happens to us with God? Not only is his glorious presence something we often take for granted, but he quickly gets crowded out, just crowded out of our busy schedules. If we're going to add godliness to our faith, we must go all out to make time to recognize and enjoy the presence of God. And this requires intentionality. If you are waiting for the perfect time when life slows down to get started, forget it. Spending time with God needs to be the first thing that goes into our daily plan. And here's how I would specifically encourage you to go about this. Just set aside at least 30 minutes every day to be with God. Make room for him. Make time with God, a daily appointment. Treat it like you would an appointment with a best friend or a CEO of your company. One that you wouldn't think of missing unless, of course, maybe there's an extreme emergency. And then, once a week, follow God's example by resting. Take a day to focus on Him. Set aside your work, your honeydew list, your email, social media, just to rest and play and to reconnect with God. See, that allows you to reorient your life back to God by resting from our work, by resting from work, just to focus on Him. The result will be what you read about in verse 8. You know this, you can say it with me. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, over time, 
it makes you that much more centered and productive for the rest of the week. I've learned to value my attention. I want to give my attention to living a godly life, which to me means loving God, leading my family and others back to God, and serving well wherever God has placed me. After all, godliness means to be devoted to the worship and the service of God. Listen, refill your bucket every night and every morning with this thought. I am making every effort to add to my faith godliness. I have a growing awareness that how I live affects others. It impacts others. I cannot allow myself to fall asleep or get distracted. I need to man my posts. But how do I know if I'm loving God? This is, this is important. Write it down. I think there are two practical indicators that show that we are truly loving God in any given moment. The first indicator is this, being thankful. When I am thankful, then in that moment, I am loving God. And the second indicator is being content. When I'm living in contentment, then in that moment, I show that I am loving God. See, godliness is including God in everything all the time. It's no wonder Peter said, make every effort. We must be intentional about making time to tune into the presence of God. Being thankful and content is only possible when we see God for who he is and trust him for how he leads us. Although a pandemic had already begun in December of 2019, most of us weren't aware of its presence at that point in life. Life just frankly seemed far more carefree than it does today, I think you'd agree. It was during that time that the Wall Street Journal ran a piece by a lady named Erica Komisar. She's a therapist in New York City, a secular Freudian psychoanalyst that probably wouldn't be hired to be a counselor at any church that I know of. Yet her advice in this article is profound, and this is what she wrote. She said, as a therapist, I'm often asked to explain why depression and anxiety are so common among children and adolescents. One of the most important explanations, and perhaps the most neglected, is declining interest in religion. See, culture's relentless obsession to eradicate faith as the problem has actually become the problem itself. Those in Scripture who found themselves in the presence of God were awed by His glory and often left speechless. In His presence, we are less concerned about ourselves and our personal situations, and we're more concerned with giving Him thanks and asking for strength to live in contentment in the moment. In the presence of God, truth is spoken both ways. Truth comes to us from his written word. And the words we speak to God are usually brutally honest, at least in his presence. I like what the prophet said in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Let's look at this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. See, the truly wise person, says God, doesn't glory in what's tangible in this world, but in the intangible thing of inestimable value 
having a rich, rewarding relationship with God. And here's the thing. We become like what fills our minds. If we focus on beauty and riches, we'll compare ourselves and everything else to those traits. But if the character of God fills our minds, we'll become more like him. That's godliness. What does that look like? God overflows with loyal love and accurate judgment and wisdom and righteous choices that help people. When we rivet our thoughts increasingly on God, he works those traits into us as well. Basically, godliness is walking with God, leaving the things that promise life but deliver death and making choices that honor God. It's our choice. We get to choose the visible and worthless or the intangible and the valuable. I like this quote from Zig Ziglar. The chief cause of failure and unhappiness is trading what you want most for what you want now. That is so true. And it plays out every day in our lives, doesn't it? I don't want to be a good man. I want to be a godly man. A good man may do a lot of great stuff, but it's often motivated by a desire to be recognized and appreciated, worshipped, if you will. A godly man will do what he does because he wants nothing more than for God to receive the glory, for him to be glorified for all that he has done and continues to do. I think godliness is best formed in listening closely to what God desires for us, what he desires for us to do with our time and how to invest our money, use our talents, share our, our assets, where to live and who to share life with. Now, how do you know if what you're hearing from God is from God? Obviously, the big question is, does what you're hearing align with Scripture? If not, it's not God speaking. And what separates godly people from good people? Often just comes down to this. Listen closely. It's a willingness to obey what they hear from God. See, good people will do what they're comfortable doing. What makes sense? What is safe? What is within their capability? What they've always done? Godly people will do what they are told to do by the Lord. To grow spiritually, follow this process each day. Remember that change is not an event. It's a process. An event may start the process, but change happens over time. Give yourself permission to practice these qualities one day at a time. And give yourself grace. You may start the day strong and then mess up, and that's okay. Keep going. Don't quit. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control godliness. Now, each week, I've been encouraging you to grow spiritually by simply following this process every day. I'm praying that God will cause these qualities to grow in your life a little bit each day. And my prayer is that these reflect the sincere desire of your heart. Let's say these together. Today, I will add to my faith. I'll do more than believe. I will trust God. I will truly come alive. I will let faith lead me. I will follow God in faith. Second, today I will practice moral excellence. I will put into practice what I know. Third, today I will grow in knowledge of God's word. I'll read my Bible and I will ask God for wisdom. Fourth, today I will be self-controlled. I will practice self-control over my emotions and attitudes. I'll stop blaming others or even making excuses because I am adding to my faith. Fifth, today I will persevere. I will not give up. 
Now let's add the sixth. Today, I will practice godliness. I will include God and see him in everything I do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you will make your presence known. I pray, Father, that we will live in your presence wherever we are, whatever we are doing, with whomever we are with. And I pray, Father, that you will be glorified in the life that we live. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, we post a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so you can help share our message. We'll see you next time.